broadcasting on the Drug Truth Network. This is Cultural Baggage. It's not only inhumane, it is really fundamentally un-American. My name is Dean Becker. I don't condone or encourage the use of any drugs, legal or illegal. I report the unvarnished truth about the pharmaceutical, banking, prison, and judicial nightmare that feeds on eternal drug war. Welcome to this edition of Cultural Baggage. I'm glad you could be with us. We've got a very busy show for you. You'll hear from some half dozen of the Drug Truth Network reporters a bit later. But first up, I'm proud to welcome to the show the Executive Director of the National Advocates for Pregnant Women, Lynn Paltrow. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you. Hi. I'm glad you could be with us. For those who are not too familiar with the history of the Drug Truth Network, Lynn was one of the first uh, to join us on the Drug Truth, uh, excuse me, on the uh, New York Times Drug Policy Forum uh, back in the day. And, uh, and I, I welcome you uh, with us once again, Lynn. Thank you. Uh, Lynn, for those who may not be aware of uh, the National Advocates for Pregnant Women, please tell us about your organization. Uh, we're an organization that's dedicated to ensuring the human rights of all women, focusing particularly on uh, pregnant and parenting women. And one of the things we want to ensure is that women are not punished for, pregnant women in particular are not punished for addiction and other health problems they experience while pregnant. And this is... Uh a burgeoning problem, a, a very complex and, and uh, hysterical problem at times, is it not? Yes. Well, you, you have the convergence of two highly politicized issues, the drug war and the war against abortion. And the problem is that um, they're both extremely emotional. They're both often characterized by misinformation. And they both rely on issues of um, prohibition, which we know just doesn't work in either context. And uh, if I may uh, get you to summarize some of these uh, situations, some of the laws and some of the, the prison sentences that are being levied against uh, women accused of using these illegal drugs. Right, and it, it's hard for me to to make a simple example because it's unclear whether they're being charged because they're women who use illegal drugs, although those are the easiest to start with, or is it because they've continued to term in spite of having a drug problem? Is it giving birth or using drugs? And it's really both together and, and both separately. We, for 30 years, we've heard all of this anti-abortion uh, stuff that talk, describes pregnant women who have abortions as murderers, killers, terminators, and one one of our observations is you can't talk about people that way without it expanding, spreading beyond the original border. So that now there are women who are sitting in jail for first-degree murder for having suffered a stillbirth. Teresa Hernandez in Oklahoma has been sitting in jail waiting trial for two years. The claim is she suffered a stillbirth as a result of uh, drug use during pregnancy, methamphetamine use. It's highly unlikely that um, her stillbirth has anything to do with her drug use. But you take that uh, that drug in, the, in this incredibly um, politicized, non-medical world, and, and you take it in a state where you have a senator who says that doctors who provide abortion services should get the death penalty. You put the two together and you have first-degree murder for a woman who just suffered a stillbirth. Uh, Regina McKnight in South Carolina. South Carolina is the only state that has actually said these kinds of prosecutions are legitimate. 
She suffered a stillbirth, unintentional, no desire to enter pregnancy. Uh, there was a positive drug test, uh, convicted of homicide by child abuse. And even, the case is still being challenged, but even with testimony that her defense attorney was inadequate, that there is no connection between her drug use and the stillbirth, she had a common infection that's related to stillbirth, unrelated to drug use, she is serving 12 years on a 20-year sentence. And this, and, go ahead. And there are women, uh, and, and even though we continue to challenge the myths that underlie these prosecutions, the notion that certain drugs are uniquely harmful to uh, pregnant women and their future children, uh, we've uh, helped uh, leading medical doctors and researchers uh, try to dispel the myth of the crack baby to uh, almost 100 of them came together to send a letter last year to the media and public policy people saying do not create the myth of the meth baby. No one suggests these drugs are good. No one wants to see a pregnant woman use these drugs. But please don't assume that they cause uh, unique damage or even inevitable damage. And the, the truth be told, there are two very uh, much more uh, used drugs, uh, alcohol and tobacco, that uh, do not the users do not suffer from this stigma, do not suffer from these prosecutions. Uh, let, let's talk about that disparity. Well, I, the truth is that there have been some arrests for women who drink alcohol, and we often are accused of speaking about a hypothetical, imaginary, slippery slope, but many of the cases we've worked on are already at the bottom of that slope. So uh, Stacy Gilligan in upstate New York was arrested. Um, she was drinking and pregnant. They said she prosecuted, they tried to prosecute her for child endangerment on the theory that she was feeding her blood to her unborn child, uh, a theory being the blood had alcohol in it. Prosecutors in South Carolina, again, the only state that has legitimate this uh, criminalizing pregnancy, criminalizing addiction for one group of people, pregnant women, uh, said if we could connect uh, a stillbirth or harm to cigarettes, we would prosecute that. And now this year, the Arkansas governor uh, was taking seriously a proposal to create, recreate prohibition uh, on both cigarette smoking and alcohol just for pregnant women. Isn't one of the other the side issues complications of this this uh, stigma associated with drug use that many times pregnant women do not go to a doctor do not receive prenatal natal care and and further perhaps complicate uh, life for that baby well and that's why there's not a leading medical group in this country and there's not even a leading child welfare group in this country that thinks prosecuting pregnant women and new mothers is a helpful response the reason is, there, there are many reasons. One is, as you suggest, if women believe that by going for help, and, and what we know for a fact is that even if pregnant women can't stop their drug use, if they get prenatal care, if they're connected to health providers, uh, they can have a healthy pregnancy outcome. If they're terrified that by revealing a problem they could go to jail or lose custody of their children, which is actually a much, much bigger and more terrifying problem for many families, uh, they're going to stop coming in for help. They're not going to speak honestly. But 
this conversation is almost hypothetical because we live in a country where 45 million people don't have health insurance, and even those who do have very little access to the kinds of treatment, whether it's drug treatment or mental health services or simply family support, uh, that would enable them to either stop their drug use if that's what they need to do or control it so that they can meet their family and other obligations. Now, oftentimes, those who are suffering for a, uh, under addiction, uh, whether it be alcohol or, or in, uh, illegal drugs, uh, live a life of, if you will, abject poverty, using their money to obtain their, their drug of choice. Is that not um, perhaps one of the complications that lead to the problems with these babies? Well, I'm not sure what you're asking. I mean, there, the, I, I wouldn't want to imply that it's only poverty, people in poverty that use illegal drugs or that everybody who uses illegal drugs becomes impoverished because, you know, you just have to look at Rush Limbaugh to know that that's <laughs> not the case. Right. But abs it's very hard. I mean, I, people hearing the show, you know, uh, these kinds of conversations often are just, their gut reaction, understandably, is horrified. Like, how can these women do that? How can anybody defend them? But the truth is that, Many of the harms that we think come from certain drugs really are related to poverty and uh, and other uh, health situations, which I'll talk about in a second. Uh, but women are not using uh, drugs, they're not smoking cigarettes, they're not drinking alcohol because they want to hurt their children. In fact, they continue to, to term many of these women because they personally oppose abortion, because they have faith that they will have a healthy baby anyway. And they would do very, they would very much appreciate help, but really most of the time are absolutely turned away from it. In Texas, uh, in Amarillo, a prosecutor thought it was a good idea to start arresting women under a new fetal rights law. The court recently struck that down um, and said to local doctors, you t must turn in your patients. It will help us get them into care, which was just a huge, uh, it, you know, distortion, if not just flat out lie. You go to a drug treatment facility locator on the internet, you plug in Amarillo area, you plug in pregnant women who are poor because those were who t were targeted for arrest. There's not a program in 100 miles designed to meet their needs. So, you know, the idea that this is just about bad women is, I think, what it's all about. And what I, Because the reality is the greatest health to children, threat to children, is not their mothers or pregnant women but by focusing on drug use by making it all about just these bad women then we don't have to look at the fact that our government deregulated coal burning power plants releasing poisonous mercury into the environment many health problems that we're seeing may well be the result of mercury and other exposures there were there's chemicals in uh, there were new studies on uh, umbilical cord blood finding all kinds of pesticides gas gasoline, uh, mercury, uh, and other environmental hazards, it's much more politically uh, viable to prosecute some low-income mother who's accused of using an illegal drug than to say, wait a minute, we're poisoning our environment and we're po poisoning the mo the, what you know, properly called the most vulnerable uh, unborn children. Uh, but we're not going to go after industry. We're not going to hold the government accountable. We're just going to blame the, the women who have no power to change, uh, to, uh, very often to change certainly the physical environment they're in and oftentimes don't have the support to overcome the addiction problems they may have. I, I know that uh, kind of a tangential story. There was a, a woman here in the Houston area who uh, was found uh, with her children starving to death. 
uh, no no financial support, and she was arrested for child endangerment uh, in just the last couple of days. Uh, I, I, I uh, want to alert the listeners. We are speaking with Lynn Paltrow of the National Advocates for Pregnant Women. Uh, Lynn, we've got just a, a minute or two left, but let's be sure and, and get your website. Uh. It's www.advocatesforpregnantwomen.org. Uh, it's, again, www.advocatesforpregnantwomen.org. Uh, uh, I think I've been uh, online too long today, so no. <laughs> I can type it, but I, it's hard to speak it. I understand. Lynn, there is... Uh, a, a bit of uh, light on the horizon just today. The Washington yeah. Post uh, uh, published a story, uh, charges rejected for moms who bear babies exposed to illegal drugs. Please tell us about that. That's out of Maryland, and the highest court in Maryland reached a decision that's consistent with virtually every other court in the country to rule. And again, it's not because the courts have lost their minds and are announcing that pregnant women have a right to use drugs. What they did, like as most other courts did, is say, what's going on here? What did our legislature mean when they passed a child endangerment law? And when they looked, they said they didn't mean to transform pregnancy into a potential crime. They didn't mean to hold pregnant women criminally liable for any risk they uh, may uh, impose during pregnancy because that's unlimitable and there are many things that risk harm and fortunately most of them don't. I was uh, exposed to nicotine during uh, my mother's pregnancy and fortunately many of the terrible and much uh, well-proven harms didn't occur to me as uh, you know so they're risks but they aren't necessarily harms. They talked about the fact that many things other than illegal drugs, cigarettes, alcohol, continuing to term with a pregnancy that you know uh, has genetic anomalies, uh, skiing, uh, driving without a seatbelt on, that what you essentially do if you accept this view of pregnancy and drug use is to say, you pregnant women who have no rights to, no rights yourselves, you don't have a legal right to housing, you don't have a legal right to health care, you don't have a legal right even to safety, you somehow must provide that to your fetus or risk going to jail. And they also said, look, in Maryland, we do punish possession, but we recognize that addiction is a disease. And to justify this arrest, you would have to criminalize addiction itself and do it only for one class of people, pregnant women. And clearly, to think the legislature meant to do that would be, and they use language like absurd and outrageous. Well, I think we will leave it right there. Once again, that, that website for our listeners www.advocatesforpregnantwomen.org All right. Lynn Paltrow, thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. It's time to play Name That Drug by Its Side Effects. Decreased sex drive, excessive milk, whether nursing or not, loss of menses, hallucination, aggression, depression, hepatic impairment, renal impairment, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, sleep apnea, rebound insomnia, withdrawal, new feelings of depression. Time's up. From Takeda Pharmaceuticals, they say it doesn't have the side effects of Lunesta. The answer, Roserum, for a good night's sleep. President George Bush, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Many famous Americans, including Alvin, prominent conservatives, have used marijuana. None were arrested and all have lived successful lives. President Bill Clinton. Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Is it fair to arrest three quarters Clinton. of a million people Governor a year for doing what presidents and a Supreme Court justice have done? Visit the Marijuana Policy Project Foundation, www.joinmpp.org, or call toll-free 1-877-JOIN-MPP.
Poppygate, bizarre news about the U.S. policy on controlling heroin, featuring Glenn Greenway. The U.S. Office of National Drug Control Policy has confirmed reports that Afghanistan's massive opium harvest is pouring tens of millions of dollars into Taliban coffers. This is the highest level White House announcement to date that American-occupied Afghanistan's illegal opium trade is funding America's enemies. Violence in Afghanistan continues to rise dramatically. This week in Kandahar, a car bomb killed at least 21 civilians and four NATO soldiers were killed in a rocket-propelled grenade attack. Three British soldiers were killed in Helmand province in a Taliban ambush and a car bomb killed eight mourners at a funeral in Jalalabad. So far this year, 64 American soldiers have died in Afghanistan. According to the DEA, U.S.-occupied Afghanistan now accounts for 92% of the world's heroin. Seven billion individual doses produced last year alone. Opium cultivation has increased 30-fold since the U.S. invasion in 2001, and still, the U.N. expects this year's harvest to rise. Despite funding terrorism, spreading HIV-AIDS throughout the region, fostering malignant political corruption, and filling nearly all the syringes of heroin consumers worldwide, the Bush administration, while actively waging a domestic scorched-earth war on drugs, has done nothing about controlling heroin production in Afghanistan. This is Glenn Greenway reporting for the Drug Truth Network. Time for yet another segment about Colombian cocaine production. Earlier this year, the Office of National Drug Control Policy released its estimates of Colombian cocaine production. Though they spun the story beyond recognition, the bottom line was clear. Estimated production had risen by 20 to 25 percent over the year before. Now, a report by Colombia's Narcotics Agency and the U.N. Office on Drugs and Crime reveals that our drugs are was an optimist. According to a report in the news magazine Cambio, Colombia may have produced about 776 tons of pure cocaine in 2005. That's 130 to 200 tons more than previously estimated. The problem is twofold. First, cultivation is going on in more areas than officials had been willing to admit. Second, the coca plants themselves are producing more cocaine because farmers are using higher yield varieties, the same way that corn farmers use higher yielding varieties of corn. One maximizes profit by maximizing production. The farmers don't get paid much for their coca, but it's enough to feed a family. In an ironic piece of related news, late last month, a delegation of Colombian anti-drug military and police officials went to Afghanistan to help that government deal with its illicit drug production. For the Drug Truth Network, this is Doug McVeigh, editor of DrugWarFacts.org. And now for another black perspective on the drug war. I'd like to tell you about a man I once knew. Old man is what people used to call him. And to look at him, he appeared every bit of 70. But as I got to know him, I discovered that he was only 42 years old. He was addicted to heroin, or heron as he liked to call it. And years of drug abuse, jails, poverty, and hard living had taken a terrible toll on him. He was frail and thin, with skin-like parchment. His kidneys had failed, and he had to go twice a week for hemodialysis. That's where they run your blood through a machine to clean it. Once a month, the hospital issued him his medications, and as soon as they did, he sold them for money to buy his heroin. You see, thanks to the drug war, he could get treatment for his renal failure, but not for his heroin addiction. Toward the end of the month, when the money and the drugs ran out, he would resort to petty crimes like shoplifting and theft to buy his heroin. 
Old man died last year on an $8 a night bunk in a Houston flophouse where his body lay undiscovered for three days. In Switzerland, they don't make war on heroin addicts. Since 1994, they've been prescribing free heroin for their addicts, and after just four years, a study found that shoplifting and theft by these people dropped 88%. Mugging and burglary dropped 98%. Selling drugs, 91%. And contacts with the police overall fell by 75%. The Dutch and the Germans soon adopted similar policies and have enjoyed similar results. And all report that... The patients are much healthier, more stable, and have improved housing, employment, and relationships. There are alternatives to drug war, if only we will embrace them. Until we do, we will suffer more crime, more costs, and more wasted lives. Like old man's. For the Drug Truth Network, and for you, old man, wherever you are... This is Phil Jackson. Our next report comes from Terry Nelson. He spent 32 years in service to the United States of America as a customs border and air interdiction officer. He retired as a GS-14, the equivalent of a bird colonel. This week, I googled drug news to see what was going down. What was reportedly a huge arrest, the largest cocaine seizure to date in Dallas, more powerful meth called ICE being made in Mexico and caught coming from Africa were seized in Seattle. I cannot remember the number of times that the latest cocaine, marijuana, heroin, etc. bust was the largest on record. This alone should tell anyone with a brain that the supplies are increasing and that the failed drug, failed drug policy choice called the drug war has been lost. And for the record, the huge arrest of 635 pounds seized by Dallas PD is a significant amount. However, my first big seizure in 1992 was 1,350 pounds of cocaine, airdrop from a Cessna 208. The last one I participated in in January 2004 was 14 metric tons, or approximately 30,000 pounds, located in the eastern Pacific Ocean. Yep, any day now, some police department will announce another record seizure, and that will be the last one, and it will finally break the back of the smuggling organization, and they will give up and quit the business. Yeah, right. And there's ice water for sale in the Arctic. I can't walk into a drugstore and buy several packages of certain cold medicines to take on a month-long camping vacation without signing my name and showing my identification. But that has not and will not stop methamphetamine from being made somewhere by somebody as long as there's a market for it. However, it may very well increase crime as meth makers now have to get their ingredients illegally. And no matter, just when we think we've seen the last new drug, another one that some group has been using for hundreds of years is discovered in marketing in the United States. Cot comes from East Africa and has been used as a stimulant for years. But the leaves must be used when fresh. With the advent of quick worldwide transportation, those leaves can now be shipped to the United States in time for the locals to enjoy this stimulant. Globalization is upon us. So... Let's just admit that the U.S. drug policy choice is a miserable failure and change our strategy to one of treatment and education instead of prohibition and incarceration. I will close with two items that I found humorous. Colombian anti-drug officials are in Afghanistan to show them how to control their drug problem. Like Colombia has been successful in stemming the flow of drugs from their country, and a police chief in Torrington, Connecticut has decided that displaying the vehicle seized in drug arrests will deter crime like that one's not been tried before. Einstein is reported to have said, 
Doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results is the definition of insanity, and that pretty much describes the drug war. Educate and inform yourselves. Ask tough questions of elected officials. It's time for a change. Together, let's find a solution for our future. This is Terry Nelson on behalf of LEAP, Law Enforcement Against Prohibition, at www.leap.cc, signing off. This is Phil Smith of the Drug War Chronicle with this week's Corrupt Cop Stories for the Drug Truth Network. This week we head for Corn Country, or more precisely, Adel, Iowa, where the Dallas County Sheriff was charged on July 28th with stealing $120,000 in seized drug money. According to WHO-TV in nearby Des Moines, Sheriff Brian Gilbert is accused of pilfering one packet of cash in a $900,000 seizure. Gilbert took the cash from the scene and reportedly detoured to his home on the way to the station. When he got there, Deputy Scott Pfeifferlich noted one of the packets was missing and told investigators. Sheriff Gilbert maintains his innocence, but now faces charges of first-degree theft. As always, there are more corrupt cop stories this week, including one about problems at a Mississippi drug task force. Check them out online at www.stopthedrugwar.org. More news on the harmless drug marijuana this week. Here are just three headlines from credible mainstream news sources on August 1st, 2006. Fox News. Marijuana may sabotage pregnancy. BBC News. Cannabis might harm conception. And the London Guardian. Cannabis linked to risk of miscarriage in U.S. study. CBS, Forbes, The Daily Telegraph, and dozens of other mainstream news publications ran similar stories. Apparently, the THC in marijuana alters the signaling molecules in the reproductive systems that govern development and implantation of the embryo into the womb. The embryo fails to leave the ovaries and attaches outside of the womb. This is called an ectopic pregnancy. An ectopic pregnancy is a life-threatening condition which requires emergency treatment. Embryos containing THC also have more cell abnormalities, suggesting developmental problems that would lead to miscarriage. The embryo could even be affected by marijuana smoked before fertilization. But don't believe me. Look it up in the Journal of Clinical Investigation, or on WebMD, or on Fox News, or CBS, or in Forbes or in the London Guardian, or the Daily Telegraph, the BBC, or any other credible news source. Marijuana kills the unborn child. Do you still think it's harmless? This has been Winston Francis with the official Government Truth. You know, for the last few weeks, I've let Winston off easy, but today he's ticked me off. He's mentioning the names of a half dozen legitimate papers and Fox News saying THC kills babies. Now, I'm not a scientist or a doctor, so I think I'll seek the opinion of the children of my pot-smoking women friends. This is nothing more than a feeble attempt by those whose moral mindset set this fiasco in motion to justify their inquisition, to re-legitimize their flailing and failing drug war. Many within the corporate media are beginning to walk away from the policy of everlasting prohibition of drugs, yet all are complicit, at least historically, in arranging this policy. Now, few remain transfixed by their dead body of work, but most are walking away, following the old axiom, never run from a murder scene. It makes you look guilty. Now, insofar as marijuana stopping pregnancy, if it were true, who the hell would need a morning-after pill? Screw these lunatic 
Talibanites for Christ who prefer prison over understanding and prophets over the prophets. Uh, please tune into this week's cultural, uh, excuse me, Century of Lies show. It's available at Drug Truth, not, oh boy. It's at uh, drugtruth.net. Um, it features an interview with Dr. Mitch Earlywine. He's the author of Understanding Marijuana. A quick program note, I want to welcome WMCO out of New Concord, Ohio, and WMLN out of Boston, Massachusetts, our 60th and 61st affiliates. Welcome to the uh, Drug Truth Network. And uh, we're just about out of time. And once again, I want to encourage you to get on board, to do something to end this madness, to Write that 50-word letter and send it to your uh, politicians and to your local paper. Do something to end this madness because they aren't going to do it on their own. It's going to take more of a standing up and uh, uh, speaking up to get it done. And um, I'm out of time. I just want to remind you once again that because of drug prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. Please be careful. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, on behalf of engineer Philip Guffey, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth. The show produced at the Pacifica Studios of KPFT, Houston. Jack dancing on the edge of the